Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. From the 2022 Columbus Catholic Young Adult Conference, the keynote speaker, Kim Zember. Here's the MC for the day, Brad Pierron, introducing Kim. Enjoy. I want to read a quick bio that we have on our uh, website about Kim because Kim... Um her ministry spans far and wide. And I actually, um, before we were at conferences together, I actually first uh, met Kim at a, a large conference that happened in Northern Ohio. And uh, she was running a, a booth there with Miss Emily, who's here today as well, for uh, an apostolate called Unforgotten Faces. And I went and I, uh, I was so excited to like financially partner with a bunch of the ministries that were there. I was like, which ones do I feel called to partner with? You know, and I don't know about you, but I'm really extroverted and excited a lot. You'll probably pick that up today. Uh, so, so excited that I usually sweat through my shirt by session one. So we'll just see where that goes today. And, um, but, uh, I heard about unforgotten faces and was just blown away by the authentic, um, expression of God's love for people who can often be overlooked in the world. And that authenticity that was brought into that apostolate and that's being brought here today, again, I hope blesses you. So let me read this, um, biography that we have written about Miss Kim before I welcome her up and we pray with her and then she leads us closer to the Lord. Kim is passionate about sharing the love, freedom, and restoration found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether in her hometown of San Diego or her home away from home, Ethiopia, she is sharing the love and redemption of life through Jesus. Kim shares her testimony of living a homosexual lifestyle and the radical transformation of her life through a relentless pursuit of her relationship with her bridegroom, Jesus. Kim is extremely passionate about seeing all people experience the radical love of Jesus. She believes that turning her life inside out for all to see shows how the Lord has and continues to set the captives free. She feels deeply that authenticity with one another in God's love and truth is so needed today more than ever. When Kim is not in the States, she is most likely found in Ethiopia, surrounded by her 80 plus children through the nonprofit Unforgotten Faces. She started that apostolate when she was 23 years old. Can we give a warm round of applause for Miss Kim Zember? Can pray with you? Yes, All right, y'all, so we're going to pray with Miss Kim. And what I mean by praying with Miss Kim is I'm not going to pray for her and you watch. We're all going to pray for her together. Can we do that? So if you guys will join me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you want to just extend your hand as a sign of blessing towards Miss Kim. Father, thank you so much for the gift of our sister Kim. Thank you for all the ways that you've blessed her and all the ways that you've brought her to yourself. Jesus, thank you for all the ways that you've pursued her, and thank you for the ways that your presence has been made known to her. We pray today, Lord, that through her message, that your presence would be so tangible for us, that your presence would beckon us and call us and bring us deeper into your love. Lord, we pray that every word she speaks today be from you. We bless her for her preparation, and we thank you for the gift that she is for the church and the gift that she is here today. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And all the people said... Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Miss Kim Zimber, one more time. Amen. Okay. Um, I just want to make a, a statement, because as I was listening to Brad, um, I just want to say thank you 
uh, to you as well. You've been a gift to my life in the, the brief encounters that we've had. I've, I've just been so blessed. And just to see young Catholic men living out their faith um, is, is very rare, at least when I was growing up. So just so blessed to see that in you, Brad, and those that you love on and minister to. So thank you. Um, I am not a nun. And I'm not a priest. Uh, well, I'm not a priest at all. Um, but actually, we're called priest, prophet, and king. But I'm not going to get into that. But I, he, he kept saying sister. And my heart was just convicted. I'm like, okay, Lord, if you're asking me to be in religious life, let's not do it right at this moment. So that might be my future, but it's, it's not right now. Um, I do live uh, a consecrated life to the Lord. Um, not officially. But I just want to make that clear, just in case people are like, wait, why is she in a flannel and leather vans? Um, Sister Miriam would back me up on that. So, um, yeah, and then, and then the second part, um, we actually, uh, Unforgotten Faces actually serves now over 480 kids. Uh, so we started off with 80, and now we're, we're serving over 400. Um, and it's so cool. Our motto in Ethiopia uh, is called Serving in Love. And I'm going to unpack that later. I have a breakout session right after this as well on women in missions. Um, and you don't have to be a woman to go to it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think. Um, we'll just call it missions. Um, but anyways, I, I think it's so beautiful. And it's a scripture that the Lord has been talking to me on. So I, I love this is nothing is a coincidence. The Lord's always at work. And um, Galatians 2.20, which Brad just read to us. There's so much in this, and sometimes I think as, as Christians, as Catholics, we get so used to scripture, um, or maybe we don't, but like certain key scriptures, like Jeremiah, you know, he has a plan and a purpose, but we, I don't know how much we sometimes meditate and just sit with the Lord in the scripture and see how literally I could sit on this scripture for two years, two years, and still not get the fullness that God has. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll reread another scripture, and he brings out a new word um, for me that he wants me to really sit with him in. And so I just, I was so honored. I, I you know, yes, as, as Brad had mentioned, I share a lot about my own testimony regarding homosexuality and how the Lord brought me out and continues to keep me in his love um, and his grace and out of that lifestyle. Um, but I was so blessed. Like I, I get a lot of um, different inquiries that come and share. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, thank God. They want me to talk about something other than sexuality. Because the reality is what I'm going to talk about this morning is the answer to everything. It's his presence. It's, it's the theme of this entire conference. And really, it's the theme of our Christian lives and of our hearts. And so I'm just honored to, to share on this because I have found in my own journey that his presence is everything. His presence is what keeps me out of the presence of darkness, right? For light came into the world to, to cast out darkness. It's not a battle. Light has won when it's welcomed in. And so in that, I just want to read this again, but I just, I ask you, um, just to close your eyes and just maybe see what the what Holy Spirit highlights as a word to you. I know there's many that, that have been highlighted to me, but I'm just going to read this from Galatians. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So a few things that stand out to me that, you know, growing up for me, I, I grew up in, in private Catholic school, third grade through eighth grade. And to be honest, as I'm going through um, just a lot, the Lord's just, just so tender um, and so patient. And it's really been a process, especially these last two years. But um, I don't know if anybody's familiar, but healing the whole person um, is, a, is an amazing thing. And as, as I've pressed in uh, with the Lord through that conference and many, many different, my spiritual director and whatnot, one of these things that, that I really used to shy away from was the love of God. See, I heard it all the time growing up. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And it almost just became this fact to me, but I gotta be honest, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. And, and we know that love is not just a feeling. My, my mom can love me or my dad can love me, and I may not feel it, but it, it still is true. But guess what? God gave his life so that we'd feel it as well. So I pray that if you're one who's like, yeah, yeah, I know it. Okay, I want to ask, do you feel it? And let's take it a step further. I once heard this song by Misty Edwards, and this, this line got me. It says that he likes you, that God likes you. And I'm like, oh, no, he don't. <laughs> no, he does not. You don't know me. That was written for someone else. That's written for Mother Teresa. That's written, you know, uh, Misty Edwards, Protestant. So that's written for, you know, those who really follow the Lord and never mess up. Because for me, to be loved by God, okay, he kind of has to. To be liked by God, that seems like a choice he's making. And what I'm realizing in my life now, and especially within the last two years, as I've fallen short in so many ways, is I'm seeing his love revealed for me in an even greater way than I ever have in my weaknesses, in my failures. And so I just, I just think that that's really important because so often when we talk about holiness, we go back to ourselves, right? We instantly, oh, I got to be holy. And so for me, when I heard the word holiness, I thought of all the things that I needed to do. What do I need to do? I need to pray more. I need to go to mass more. I need to go to confession more. I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing these other things. And, and let me tell you, there's a truth to that. Those things are good things, and then there's things we want to avoid. But just doing things doesn't bring holiness. Otherwise, what Christ did on the cross really would be null and void. Because if I could just work my way there and make myself holy, then what did he get nailed and crucified for? And so in that, but growing up, I mean, and we, we have a world that everything is about achieving and earning and deserving, and, and you gain this, but you can lose this, and it's, it's hard. But it says the kingdom of heaven flips the, the ways of the world upside down. So the kingdom of heaven operates a lot different. And it is not about earning, striving, and deserving. It's about trusting, loving, and surrendering. And those words sometimes are used as maybe the same, but they're really not. They're really not. And Satan loves when we just strive and work. Because guess what? Once we fail, then we have to start all over again. We have to start all over again. And so in that, when, when growing up, I'd see people like Mother Teresa, that, that's someone in my life that was kind of a role model in a, in a way that wasn't really forced, but, well, her picture was in my family's house, so <laughs> maybe a little bit of help there. But just when I'd see people like her, I'm like, God, why can't I love like she does? Why can't I love like she does? What, just I'll try harder to love. And that's what I spent the majority of my life doing is trying harder. I'm going to try to love this person. I have all these really not good thoughts, but I'm going to try to love you. 
And it was just this constant striving and striving. And then in the trying to love, and I'm going to try to not love these people that I desire to. For me, my struggle mostly was with women. And so I was in this constant, constant battle of try to love these people, try not to love these people, and it's just exhausting. It's truly exhausting. I don't know if any of you guys feel that way when it comes to love or it comes to doing good and not doing bad. But when we read through the scriptures, we see that Paul was in this. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But I think what we need to do, we we know that when you build a house, the foundation is most important. Because the reality is, I could build an amazing house with the best materials and all the right pieces and tools. But if it is built on sand or it's built on a a faulty foundation, it ain't going to stand. So it doesn't matter. All the right pieces are there. We are so blessed as Catholics to have the sacraments. I'm, I'm extremely blessed to be in a lot of different Protestant circles and to see the Lord move in so many different ways. But, and when I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm like, man, these tools and these, these things that the Lord has given us are unbelievable. But I will tell you, I have, God has shown me foundation still matters, Kim. And, and I'm not going to get fully into this, but he showed me a lot of foundational work through my Protestant brothers and sisters. And then I'm able to share some of these tools and this beauty that can be built upon the foundation of love. See, when I used to hear that, a foundation of love, I'm like, that's just a cheap, easy message, you know, love, love, love. And it used to almost frustrate me because to be honest, I was filled with a lot of fear. I was filled with a lot of fear. And I don't know if you know, but fear and love, they don't go together. And scripture backs that up and I'm going to unpack that as well. But for me, it was hard to accept this message of love, but I'm realizing that's why my life growing up was so difficult. Because I was trying to do everything on my own and I keep putting it up and I'm building it right and I'm going to confession, I'm going to mass and I'm doing everything I can and then it falls down. And then I rebuild again. And so the foundation, it actually starts with God. Not with me, not with you, but with him. And so I I always find the best way to prove any point or to, to, to really drive something home is using God's own word right? And so I want to go to 1 John 4.19, and you don't have to, I forget, sometimes when I'm Catholic, it's like, you don't have to open your Bibles. They're like, I don't even have one. So um, got to remember where I am, and I'm not saying, I, I know some of you carry your Bible. Um, and it's about carrying it in your heart as well. So you can carry your Bible all day long and have it far from your heart. So, um, but in 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. See, I was trying to manufacture a love. I wasn't receiving love and then giving it. I was trying to just give love that I didn't even have in myself because I wouldn't receive it unknowingly that it was pride in me because if I've got to earn something and work for something, it's actually on me, which me, me, me is pride. And we don't usually think of that. That's maybe the sneakier back door that pride gets in of like, no, I'm doing good and I'm trying to do good. So that's not prideful. It is, because it's depending upon myself. And so in that, foundationally, it's got to be that we not only know, but experientially know that we love because God first loved us. And he shows this love. He shows this love. And it's, it's actually beautiful. In the Catechism uh, 604, 
It says true love originates not in the human heart, but in God. So that right there, so beautiful. I love when the, when the catechism just brings forth this like bomb that I just didn't see fully in scripture. And so for that, true love originates not in the human heart, but in God. So if I'm trying to manufacture this self, this, this love in my own self, in my own heart, I'm going to fall short. I've got to receive to be able to give because I could want to give you a million dollars with every ounce of my being, check my pockets, go into my bank account. But the reality is if I don't got it, I can't give it. If I don't got it, I can't give it. And so if I did not first receive the unconditional love of God, then I cannot truly give it. And so in this, God shows his love, Romans 5, 8. It says God proves, and he never had to prove anything, but he chose, he proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say when I got my act together, Christ was like, okay, now I'll go to the cross. When I, when I cleaned up my language and when I stopped living this lifestyle and when I get freed from this temptation, then he'll die for me. No, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That's love right there. It's not get, get good and then I'll make you better. It doesn't work like that, you guys. It's not, okay, I'm going to get real good and then I'm going to go to God because he can just make me better, a better version of me. I don't want to be a better version of me. You all don't want a better version of me. You want Christ in me, the hope of glory. You want Christ in yourself so his glory can show through you. But so often we bring it back to ourselves unknowingly, really. I look back at my life and I'm like, and, and God is merciful and he's gentle and he's kind. It says that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. It doesn't say the rod, iron, the stiff, you know, stiff-neckedness of the Lord. It says the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. And as I've kind of been, as the Lord's showing me this in my own life, it's drawing me, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I thought I had to do this. I'm sorry that your shed blood I thought I almost had to earn unknowingly unknowingly you guys and so if it resonates with you amen if it doesn't amen maybe you're a little more perfected in love but we'll never be fully perfected so I pray you still listen so in this it says his love is a gift now a gift the true definition of a gift you, you don't earn it you can't pay for it you either receive it or you reject it if I were to give you a gift and you're like, oh, well, let me pay you for that. Well, now you just paid me. That's just an exchange. That's not a gift. A gift is freely given and freely received. And in Ephesians 2.8, it says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a, it is God's gift. So I just want to repeat that. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your doing. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. I love the middle part of this, not from works so that no one can boast. See, this is what I'm starting to realize. When I got set free from homosexuality, and that's a whole nother, nother talk, but in that, 
Do you know what? So yes, I was set free from the bondage and slavery of sin. And I'm thankful for that. But guess what? In many ways still, what was exchanged was now self-righteousness. Because I was still, after that, October 17th, 2014, I was still trying to do so much in my own strength. I realized God wanted me, he loved me, but not to a fullness, and I'm I'm still not there, but a lot of this was still in my own strength, you guys. And do you know what that does? And, And it's in here in Ephesians. It says, not from your works, so that no one can boast. See, when we become holy, what we think is holy or good, by our own works, by our strength, by our determination and will, then guess what? Who does that build up? Self. And, and it even says, so not from works, so that no one can boast. So in that, it is actually, it's actually in our weakness. And Paul says it, for in our weakness, God is manifest strong. God is always strong. He's always strong. But when we are willing to say, Lord, I'm weak and I'm nothing without you. Nothing. But it's not just saying that. It's actually realizing it in your life. Because we can all say anything. But the reality is when you realize, when you get to that place where you realize, I'm nothing without you, God. This boasting business goes right out the window. Because you're dependent upon him. And we got to remember, it's in Christ that we're made holy. He purifies our hearts. He transforms our hearts. He doesn't just change our behaviors. And we can get really quickly into that. We can get really quickly into a behavior modification and and different things. But I love this because in Ephesians, it's talking. It's starting to talk about, you know, this is not in your own works so that you don't boast. But he's predestined you to do good things. So this is not minimizing works that will be done or the lives we'll live. He's predestined good for us as we remain and abide in him. And so our choices matter. Absolutely. So if if we want to say, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do because it's all on God, it's all on that. No, he predestined us for good works in him, through him and in him and for him. And so it's important to recognize too, though, the difference between falling into sin and being enslaved by sin. There is a difference. There is a difference. So for me, I was enslaved in sin. I could not stop thinking about my desires, whether or not I was going to be in a relationship, what I was going to do. The person that I was dating or whatever it was, was my everything. I was truly enslaved by my desires and my desires per the Catholic Church, per the teachings of the church, and the Holy Scriptures was that my desire for women was disordered. It was out of the order of God. Didn't say I was disordered, but my desire was disordered. And I absolutely fed that desire and then became enslaved in it. And so I absolutely love this. I I go back to Scripture every time. Romans 6, 4 through 18. For sin will have no dominion over you, Since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, and I think sometimes right there we're like, some of us could be like, oh, well then I'm all good. I'm not under the law. Grace, we're good. God loves me. He forgives me. I could do whatever I want. Guess what? That's not love. I'd never marry someone who said that. Who was like, oh, you're super filled with grace, so I can cheat on you and just ask for forgiveness. Sure, you can. 
but that's not reflecting love to me. And I love it. Paul just nails this. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law? By no means. Uh, Do you not know that if you yield yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave to the one whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Okay, remember I said there's certain words or phrases that'll pop out from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you become a slave of righteousness. And so for me, that bondage broke off my life that I had truly become enslaved to sin, but I, I would be standing before you and lying, and I won't do that, that it has not been an easy path. But what I've realized, and I've had falls, and I've gone back, and I've, I've kind of entertained again, but never been enslaved to sin again by the grace of God. But I have, have had moments where I'm like, maybe, maybe this is what I want. Maybe I was wrong. And the Lord, in his goodness, in his love, has showed me in those times, no, nothing is greater than what I have for you, Kim. But I want you to recognize whatever that struggle might be for you, if you've been set free from it, there is a difference between being set free and enslaved in sin and being tempted and sometimes falling. There is a difference in God's grace. If you go back to him, there's always repentance. There's always all of that. But again, this goes into his goodness, not yours. And so I think separating those is really, really important. I think it's really important because for years, I was trying to to manifest my own strength to just not do certain things. And it's actually, I've seen the most breakthrough in my life externally, but it started internally, as I've actually humbled myself and said, I don't even deserve your love. I don't even deserve the breath you put in my lungs. But you say that you love me, and I need to experience it. I'm done, God, just hearing about it, because the hearing isn't doing it. Because there's still something in me, this striving, this performance mentality that I need you to break because I'm breaking every time. And I'm telling you, y'all, two years ago, something really started shifting in me. And I have been in a position to just receive without deserving and earning. And I'm telling you, I'm encountering Jesus in more ways than I ever did when I, and I, and I still go to daily mass. But I was going to daily mass unknowingly to receive love. I was almost feeling in my inward being like not okay if I didn't go like, oh, but if if I don't go today, I'm not the same versus, Lord, wow, you are making yourself present to me and I desire to receive you. There's a difference. So these kind of motivations of my heart started to get revealed in the last two years. And and again, he's been merciful. He's been kind. I always say this, um, that whenever God reveals, he reveals to heal right? He reveals to heal. And so if there's something that comes up in me, I'm like, I could either take it and let Satan steal it, or I can give it to the Lord and say, my gosh, I've been self-righteous, or I've been striving in my own strength, Lord. And clearly in your kindness, you're letting me see this, 
So I expose it to you and I ask you to heal this place. Show me what's going on. Don't just deal with the, the fruit. Get to the root of what's really going on here, Lord. Because the reality is, is I could put, pick every apple off of a tree, but it's still an apple tree. It may not produce that fruit, but when the, when the rain comes, fruit will come and it's going to still be an apple. Unless these things are addressed from the root... It's going to remain there. And so I'm asking, Lord, where the heck did this striving, earning, deserving business come from? What's going on? Why do I think I have to earn your love? And he brought me to his word. He brought me to different seminars and conferences. And and by the grace of God, an amazing spiritual director um, that is very involved with healing the whole person retreats that gets to some of these deeper things in me. Um, And so not going to unpack all that anyways, but it... I don't want you to think that what I'm sharing here is saying that what we do doesn't matter. Because it does matter. James 2.20 Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham and Rahab and their faith and how that was manifest in their life. And in verse 24 it says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So what we do matters, but I think it's what, what's really happening because belief, belief and behaviors go together. What you believe will produce what you do. Belief and behaviors, they do go together. But we have to remember it starts with God making us righteous. Through his infusion of grace, we've been baptized, and then it's our choice to believe. It says to be saved, be baptized, and believe. Baptism is not, a, not an earning, deserving anything. It's a gift. It's a gift. And we are infused in grace and into the family of God. And we have now his grace to choose to believe in him every day. That is a choice. That is a choice. And so in that, this is an ongoing process that we're growing in. Of exercising our faith through the works we do. Not, I'm gonna do these works so that I'm loved, or I'm gonna do these works so I can earn grace. No, grace is not earned, it's not deserved, it's received. It's given by God, and we either receive or reject it. And so we wanna make sure that we don't get this twisted. And we know Satan, he's a creator of nothing but, but a perverter and twister of everything. So he's not a creator. He can't make something. So all he can do is he can take something and he twists it and distorts it and perverts it. Okay? So take, for example, sex. God created sex. It's a beautiful thing. Satan's like, well, how do I get a hold of that? What do I have to do? And he just twists it. Take it out of the right order that God put. Right? So he puts a kink, a twist, a diversion in there. And so we ask God, who is a God of order, hey, can you bring me and all my desires, everything, into right order? Not, oh, crap, now I got to bring all my stuff into right order. No, Lord, will you, you're the God of right order. Will you bring every desire, every thought into your right order? The word of God says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It doesn't say take every thought captive and, and make it obedient to yourself and, and all yourself. No, to Christ, unto him. Lord, I, I recognize this in me, this thought, this desire, this temptation. It's not, you say it's not good. Even if you're struggling with it, you're like, it feels good, it feels fine, it seems fine. God, your word says differently, so I give this to you. I lay this before you. And so in that, it's so important It's so important that we remember who it starts with 
Because if we forget that, it'll probably come back to us. And that's where Satan really has a heyday, and he has in my own life as well. So I'm not speaking at you. I'm sharing with you of my own struggles. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't. If you can't, amen. Come teach me. I would love to hear. That's what it's about. And so in that, work started with God's grace and will be completed through our cooperation with his grace throughout our lives. This is not a one and done. I have had radical experiences with the Lord. And I'm so thankful, but this is a daily thing. I was in the airport one day and someone stopped me and asked, um, you know, when, when I was saved and it just came out of my mouth. I'd never said this before. I was like this morning and he's like, and now very rarely will you run into a Catholic and they're like, when were you saved? You know what I mean? We're like, when were you baptized? You know, um, which is beautiful. But this, this, you know, 25 year old was like, when were you saved? And I was like this morning. And I was like, oh my gosh. What did I, did I lie to him? Like, but it was real. Like, Holy Spirit, I believe responded for me because I was exhausted. I just came off three days in a max security prison. And, um, he looked at me and he's like, I don't believe you. And I was like, well, why did you just grab me as a random stranger? I was walking through the airport and he stops me. I'm like, you asked me, I respond and you don't believe me. And he starts crying. And I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) I'm getting on the plane in 20 minutes. I was like, Lord, what are you doing? And he goes, but for real, when, like, you, can't, you couldn't have just met Jesus this morning. I said, I met Jesus again this morning. I met him again this morning. And he said, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? I said, to be honest, bro, I don't know. I just, every day I wake up, I'm like, Lord, I yield everything that I am to you. Do what you want. I'm yours. And that's what came out of me. And he's like, wow. And he just loses it. Um, he gave his life to the Lord when he was like 15 um, ended up uh, falling into a lot of things through brokenness, heroin addictions, um, and at 20 got heavy into heroin and was massively addicted. Ended up having some near-death experiences, tried to kill himself three times by jumping off the roof. The third time it didn't work. And then his friend came and prayed with him. Amazing story. Um, but, and then he gave his life to the Lord yet again. And then guess what? The night before he met me in the airport, he relapsed. He had been sober for two years, and he relapsed. And so when he asked me, when were you saved, and the Lord responded through me this morning, he needed to do the same thing. Give his life again to the Lord. And so you guys, God is always at work. We need to remember this is a life of sanctification. It's not a one and done. And if we think it's a one and done, then it's been one and done because of what Jesus did. But it's not a one and done in me. Or in you. (laughs) Sometimes when I share on sexuality, I'll talk about disordered desires. And I'm like, well, so now I've shared with all of you one of (laughs) my disordered desires. I was like, so what's yours? Everybody's like, "Eh, no, you just, you're good. (laughs) Just keep talking about yours. I'm like, okay. Um, But in that, um, I said, well, I just, in your mind, think about a disordered desire you have right now. And you can just see on some people's faces, they're like, nope, I don't got one. And I'm like, okay, so if you don't think you have one, don't say it, please, because you're going to be really not happy with what I'm going to say next, is if you don't think you have a disordered desire, I'll tell you right now, it's pride. Because every single one of us has something that the Lord wants to work out in us, to heal in us, to bring forth into his wholeness. And so in that, you guys... So much of this can get put back on us, but it's the Lord's love that wants to set us free. 
And so foundationally, if we can't see that this is something we either receive or reject, not earn, deserve, I've asked, I sometimes share at colleges and and high schools, and sometimes I'll ask the question, does God love you more um, when you're in adoration and you chose to be there, um, or at mass and you chose to be there, you're not forced to, um, or does he love you more when you fall in the temptation that you really struggle with? And they're like, oh, no question. I mean, this is, this is really sad to me, but I would have been this, this person too. And sometimes I'll ask them to raise their hand, and the majority of the time, people say God loves them more when they're in church doing good and choosing God. And what is sad about that is it's minimizing who God is. It's saying that God's character is now dependent on me. God's character, who God is is dependent upon little me and little you. I'm sorry, but you don't have and I don't have the power to change who God is. His love, his goodness is dependent on him, not on me. And the prodigal son story shows this. It really, I don't know, and I'm not saying scripture's wrong, so please. For me, I see it more as the good father story because he's good to both of his sons who are very far off. A lot of times we see that older brother and we're like, hey, good for him. He's working. He's totally. No, the father showed his unconditional love to the son who thought he deserved it and earned it. And he showed it to the wayward son that was like, hey, you're going to love me no matter what. Peace. (laughs) I'm out. And he loved them equally. loved them the same. He went out to both of them. And so everything we do, you guys, we need to remember, is only a response to God's love. Me being here is not in my goodness. or it, No, it's my response to God's goodness. Because now everything goes back to him. Some good works that I was possibly doing goes back to him. Every good thing we do is a response to God and his grace. Uh, actually, St. Paul, like I said, uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.12, he talks about God says, my grace is sufficient for you in my power. My power is perfected in your weakness. So as Brad was reading um, that little summary or whatever um, on my life, when I said about authenticity, see, when we realize when we can be weak, God will manifest himself strong. God is always strong. He doesn't need me to be, he doesn't need me to be weak for him to be strong. It's that he can be manifest strong. When I'm willing and able to say, hey, guess what? This is where I'm at. This is, and I'm not proud of it. I'm not celebrating it, but I'm real with it. Why would Paul boast? He said he would boast in his weakness. That doesn't mean he celebrated his weakness. That's not like he's like, hey, these are the areas that I'm weak, so go do all that. No, he's saying, I'm weak, but guess what? In my weakness, God is manifest strong. See, but in our weakness, and, and, and if you're anything like me, the majority of the time when I was weak, I tried to make myself strong. And we're keeping God out of the picture. That's not what he's looking for, you guys. Uh, St. John Paul II said, we are not the sum of our failures but the sum of God, our Father's love for us. We are not the sum of our failures, but the sum of God, our Father's love for us. So I just want to add to that. Sorry, St. John Paul II. Not saying he missed anything, but I felt like it just came to me. 
I would say we are not a sum of our failures or our successes. We're not a sum of our failures or our successes, but the sum of God the Father's love for us. Because our successes come from God the Father's love for us. And so in that, I know you might be thinking, well, Kim, you're supposed to be talking to me about holiness. I am. I am. If you wanted like a whole list of just all the things you got to do, you could probably go find that in a lot of places. This is not about just what we do. Like I said, works will come. Because when, when you are infused with God's goodness and his love for you, good will come out of you because good has filled you. But are you letting God's goodness and who he is penetrate every fiber of your being, touch every twisted desire, touch every twisted, um, perverted thought, and let his light shine the darkness out of us, and then we carry holiness into the world. Holiness is God. It's not you and me just getting things right. Holiness is God. He is holy. For holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. In heaven right now, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. The the elders are casting their crowns at his feet. Holy, holy, holy. Holiness is God. It's not you and me. Holiness is God within us. It's God within us. It's not us just making ourselves better. And what, one thing I just want to address, because it's something the Lord's addressing in me, and that's our motivation. Because what he's been showing to me, and my motivations, though he sees me, and he's, I, I, I really believe he's like, oh, baby, oh, <laughs> you poor thing, like, you're, you're so afraid of me. See, growing up, here in, in third grade, fear of the Lord, I'm like, okay, I'll be afraid of him for the rest of my life, right? Like... You know, I, I grew up, I, the woman wasn't a nun, but man, she seemed, I'm going to be careful. Anyways, um, I'm just very thankful that I have been so blessed to meet so many sisters and nuns that are happy and joyful, and they struggle, they've got their, you know, bad days, but my goodness, it's nice to see the joy of the Lord. Um, so I didn't so much see a lot of that in third grade, and so for me, when I heard the fear of the Lord, it was kind of f- being afraid of God. Not a holiness and a reverence for who he is. And so in the, there's a big difference. Like, I just think of things real practically, maybe because I got kicked out of junior college, so my, my level only goes so high. So I like to keep things just a little more simple. So I felt like the Lord was showing me, like, would you ever, if you were dating or getting married, would you ever want the person to not cheat on you because they were afraid of you? And I'm like, well, it worked real well. I did get married once. I was like, it did work well. I just freaked the crap out of them. And that is not love, y'all. I would not. That, fear breeds more fear. See, if, if I want the person, I want to spend the rest of my life with someone, I don't want them to be afraid of me or afraid of my response or afraid of the consequence. I want them to love me so much that that's not on their radar. That that's just not on their radar. See, you guys, I'm not dating women right now, and it's not because I'm so afraid of hell. Hell is real. Anybody who says it's not, they're going to find out it is, but no, that was, that was wrong. But I'm just saying, it's real. Scriptures are very clear. It's real. Do I believe anybody, God wants anybody there? Absolutely not. But again, love is a choice. See, nobody's sent to hell. Nobody's sent to hell. People sometimes stop there and grab that clip and then try to make me look like I'm a whatever. But nobody gets sent to hell. We choose hell. 
Because we either choose Christ or we don't. So if I choose not to follow him here on earth, then I, why would, if I don't want to be with him here, why do I want to be with him forever? See, and a lot of times why we reject him, and I'm not going to get into this, but a lot of times why we reject him is because we don't really know him. We know maybe about him, or we've, but we've had a lot of maybe really bad experiences of people who say they're Christ-like and have come in judgment more than love with us. Not let the love of God transform us, but they try to transform us. And so in that, it's just important. So if I wouldn't want the person I'm dating to just be afraid of me to do really good, right? Oh, they're not going to cheat. They're not going to do anything bad because they're terrified of me. Why would God want that? I'm human. I'm okay with like mediocre. God's not okay with anything mediocre. So if I'm not okay with somebody just being scared into goodness, then he's not either. I'm going to make that bold statement. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, are we making good and holy decisions rooted? Where is it rooted in? Is it rooted in being afraid of God? Afraid of punishment? Afraid of consequences? Or is it rooted in love for him? And just go back. If you're married, you're dating, would you like it in your own relationship? And if you wouldn't, don't give that to God. Don't just give him your fear. But now for you, if you're like, oh, no, everything I do is rooted in love, amen. So you just now get to be perfected in that love. But if you're like me, and you can see like, ooh, a lot of what I do is maybe fear of hell, fear of him being mad at me, fear of punishment, kind of afraid of him, there's hope for you. And it comes, I love this, I know there's a little bit of um, argument over who wrote it, but um, in 1 John, I don't think it'd be called 1 John if John didn't write it, but again, I keep it pretty simple, but uh, our Catholic teachings believes that this did come from John, whether it was penned by him or spoken by him. Um, And if you read a lot about John, you'll see John the Beloved. I mean, so much so that he'll say, John, the one who Jesus loved. And a lot of people are like, wow, what an arrogant guy. No, he's rooted and grounded in love. He knows his identity is in Christ. He knows he's beloved. And, And if we all can't say that, then we probably have a little bit of a works mentality going on. I don't deserve to be beloved guess what? You're right. And neither do I. But that's what makes him good and then in turn makes me good. And so in that, John says in 1 John 4.18, it's one of my favorite scriptures uh, for the last two years and the Lord's been unpacking this with me. Um, It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, so perfect love, which is God, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not yet perfected in love. So I love this. God's not like, oh, if you fear, then you really don't know my love. No, he's like, hey, you're just not yet perfected in my love. They're just not yet perfected in my love. So the only antidote to fear is God's perfect love. And how do you earn God's perfect love? You don't. You earn it by getting over yourself and saying, I don't earn. I can't earn this and I don't deserve it but Lord, help me to receive your love right where I'm at. The Lord spoke to me um, about a year and a half ago on beloved identity, and he hasn't stopped. He said, Kim, I want to teach you to walk in your beloved identity. And I was like, what does that mean? So for me, again, being very practical, I had white shoes. I was like, beloved probably has to do with a bride, so I've got white vans. And I was like, I'm going to write beloved on my shoes, walk in my beloved identity. And I was like, I really think God was like, I didn't ask you to make a shoe brand. Like, 
what are you doing? But he knows me, and he knew I was going to do this. And so I was like, how do I write beloved on two pairs of shoes? It's one word. So I was like, beloved, beloved. I'm like, that's lame. Um, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, break it up. And I'm like, beloved. I'm like, that's even worse than beloved, beloved. So I don't know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, I saw be loved. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was just taken to tears like, this was right, it was just a very intense moment with the Lord. Um, and he said, in order to walk in your beloved identity, will you allow yourself to be loved right where you're at? Right where you're standing. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of confusion, will you let my love come in? To be his beloved is not to earn it. Christ bought it for us. The question is, will we receive it? Will you allow yourself, but you don't know what I just did yesterday. You don't know what I just did five minutes ago. Guess what? He does. And he still says, I love you. Says that he came for the sick. He came for the sick, the dying, the broken, to heal our hearts, to bind our wounds, to set us free. His love will set us free. As I've surrendered more and more to his love, I'm seeing more and more healing and freedom in my life than I've ever seen. And so that belovedness is what brings holiness because it roots in him, it comes into us, and it goes back unto him. Everything is unto him. He's not looking just for our good works. Good works will come. Surrender to his love. I'm telling you, in the last two years, this has been something he continues to speak over and over to me and unpacking it more and more. And it is starting to transform my heart. You cannot transform your heart by good works. You don't have the ability and I don't have the ability or capacity to transform our own hearts. We can change a lot of behaviors and that can be a good thing. But a transformation of heart comes through the unconditional, undeserved, radical love of God. And I believe the question and what he wants to walk out in me, he wants to walk out in all of his children. He wants us to be able to stand up in front of our friends, our families, strangers, and say, I am the beloved of God. I'm not the beloved big B, but because of what beloved big B Never said that before. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, the beloved son of God, I am beloved. Yeah, but you're not good. You're right, but he is. And his goodness, his goodness is washing over me and taking everything away that doesn't look like him. That's why in his presence is everything. Being in him. That's why he says, abide in me. Abide in me. He doesn't say just kind of hang out with me and, and I'll do what I need to No, abide. He wants to dwell within us. That's why Holy Spirit is with us. He gave his life. He did his part. God's not trying to, to do more. You are so radically loved, it doesn't make sense. And I pray that as you receive and as I receive that love in a place of unworthiness, that you start to realize holiness will come forth. Holiness will come forth. You guys, I am not trying not to date women. I'm not trying not to cuss. There are efforts. I do things, yes. 
But I'm telling you, as I focus my heart, my eyes, my being on Jesus and his love for me, which sounds really selfish, it's starting to change me, transform my own heart. And I pray that over you guys. I pray that if he presses onto your heart and he's going to reveal his love for you through the rosary or through a novena or through uh, an hour or two hours or 12 hours in adoration, amen. But if you're not going out of love for him, but to earn it, just maybe stop for a moment. Say, in this moment, Lord, can I just receive your love? Because you guys, if we're not filled with divine love, we're going to look for love out everywhere else. And so I pray that the divine love of God that is undeserving, unearned, and unconditional is something you just choose to receive because it's already been bought, it's already been paid for, and it came at the greatest cost. And so my prayer over, over you, over myself, and over the family of God, and for those who do not yet know him, that they would know their beloved identity And then be able to walk in that in the world. And that to me is how God is showing me what holiness really looks like. It looks a lot like him. And then me looking more and more day by day as I receive his love and walk in his love. I'm able to reflect him. Because remember, you will not reflect what you don't stare at. The mirror could never reflect me unless I walk up to it and I stare at it. So who are we looking at? And that's probably who we're going to reflect. But I pray when you look at Christ, you see eyes of love. The eyes of love that will burn through all the things that don't look like him. Thanks for joining us for this special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Kim Zember speaking to the 2022 Columbus Catholic Young Adult Conference. If you've enjoyed this talk and would like to listen to it again or share it with a friend, please visit the Special Features podcast page at stgabrielradio.com. God bless and have a great day. You're listening to excerpts from Decision Point with Matthew Kelly, a program created by Dynamic Catholic to help people young and old to rediscover the genius of Catholicism. And now, Decision Point with Matthew Kelly. Over and over throughout the Bible, we read about God choosing people and calling them to a new life. God called Noah Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Joshua, David, Jeremiah, Jonah, Mary, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Zechariah, the rich young man, and now God is calling you. You are called and chosen. God has a plan for you and a plan for your life. We read in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. A future with hope. God is deeply interested in every aspect of your life. And that's why he does everything he can to encourage you to develop a powerful spiritual life. You are called and chosen. God has chosen you and now he's calling you to live a new life.
Confirmation is a great opportunity to start taking your spiritual self seriously. So much is going to happen to you in your life that you will have no control over. We can plan and dream, and we should, but life's not easy. And often, life delivers unwelcome experiences that test us in unexpected ways. Education can prepare you for a career, and exercise can prepare you to compete athletically, but developing your spiritual self is the real preparation of life, and confirmation is part of that preparation. What is confirmation? Confirmation's a sacrament. What's a sacrament? Good question. A sacrament is an intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus gave us the sacraments to transform us spiritually. There are seven sacraments, and through them, we receive the grace necessary to live the life that God calls us to. It's through the sacraments that we get the grace to become the best version of ourselves. And all seven sacraments are deeply rooted in the scriptures and tradition. The seven sacraments are baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, reconciliation, anointing of the sick, matrimony, and holy orders. Baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation are all considered sacraments of initiation. At your baptism, you became a new creation spiritually. The Eucharist feeds you spiritually. In confirmation, you'll be strengthened for your spiritual journey throughout the rest of your life. Confirmation will unleash the Holy Spirit in your life, just as it did in the lives of the disciples at Pentecost. In this way, confirmation perpetuates Pentecost in the church so that the work of Jesus can be continued in every age. How long has confirmation been a part of the Christian experience? From the very beginning. In chapter 8 of the Acts of the Apostles, we read about Peter and John traveling to Samaria to confirm people who had only been baptized. This is what it says. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Just as Peter and John went to Samaria, their successor, your bishop, is coming to confirm you. He will do just as Peter and John did in Samaria, pray for you and lay his hands on you that you might receive the Holy Spirit. God chose you from the beginning. At baptism, your parents responded to God and they stood up for you. Now you have to make a choice for yourself and stand up for yourself. Just as Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he's choosing you today. Just as God chose Jeremiah and Joshua, Moses and Abraham, he is choosing you today. Will you accept God's blessing on your life? Will you allow God to anoint you and become a disciple? We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Decision Point with Matthew Kelly. To learn more about this program and programs like it, please visit dynamiccatholic.com. Over.